This podcast is presented by Herrick and Hart SC. The materials presented are for general information, education, and entertainment purposes only and should not be constituted as formal legal advice or a formation of an attorney-client relationship. You should not rely on this information or its applicability to any specific circumstance without speaking with an attorney. Should you be seeking legal advice, please contact our office at 715-832-3491 or visit oaklawlaw.com. And welcome to Law Talk, presented by Herrick and Hart. I'm Scott, joined uh, for this episode by Jay. And as we'll do um, on most episodes, we're going to break down a case. We're also going to touch on some frequently asked questions that come through the doors of Herrick and Hart and uh, questions people have about the uh, the law industry and and you know, the, the the court system and all of that. Jay, how's it going? Very good, Scott. All right. Well, let's uh, start off with the case here. Uh, I know you've pulled a case that uh, is just from recently in the summer of 2023. Why don't you tell everybody the case and we'll break it down. Uh, this case comes from August 2023. This is Dr. David Kornreich. He would be the plaintiff and he sued the town of Cedarburg and the Department of Public Works and Community Insurance Corporation. This case comes to us from Ozaki County, which is a small county uh, down by Milwaukee. Um, in this case, Dr. David Kornreich, uh, he was out riding his bike. He uh, claimed that the road that he was on was negligently maintained by the town of Cedarburg. After he uh, fell off his bike, he broke his clavicle, and that happened on August 7th, 2020. Now, where this case gets interesting from here is Dr. Kornreich, since he uh, was going to be suing a public entity in the state of Wisconsin, not the state of Wisconsin itself, but one of the, uh, the town here, he is required under 893.80 to serve a notice of claim. And that has to be done within 120 days of him being injured. Unless under 893.80, the town would have actual notice of his fall. Um, he had an attorney do that for him. And then what happens is that notice goes off to the town. And the town then meets at a meeting. And they issue what is called a notice of disallowance. Now, once that notice of disallowance comes out, and that was received by Mr. Dr. Kornreich and his attorney on October 21st, you only have six months after the notice of disallowance then to bring your case. So where this case then becomes trouble for Dr. Kornreich is he did not start his suit within six months of receiving that notice of disallowance. And this is what makes the law complex and interesting, is if you were involved in just a regular, I want to say, car accident, um, the typical statute of limitations there is going to be three years. Unless there's a wrongful death involved, then it goes down to two years. However, when you add in 
a public entity like you do here, it changes. You're required to do the notice, and then you're supposed to do a notice of claim. And this is where I would have questions for Mr. Korn, or Dr. Kornreich's lawyer here, is the notice and notice of claim, what they said, how they were sent, and because I think there's a lot of questions in this case to me that are left unanswered. And I think here we would have done it just a different way as far as sending out those documents. And also definitely once we got the notice of disallowance in here, uh, we would have started a suit and avoided this trouble for Dr. Kornreich. Um, again, we don't know much about the actual facts of this, of what he fell on whether or not his claim was going to be meritorious or not, or what actually the town did that caused him to come off the bike and break his clavicle. But there, as you can see, though, um, I think Dr. Kornreich here did the right thing by going to an attorney early, uh, but somebody dropped the ball by not starting the suit within the six months of the notice of disallowance, and he uh, lost his case here. So a couple of things uh, to touch on is we, you know, sometimes, as we've said before, law is not just uh, what people see on TV and, you know, people pounding the table and uh, jury trials and all of that. How much are cases like this concerning paperwork? It is a matter of we've got to provide them with this paperwork. We've got to get this back following steps along the way. It's not simply I'm suing you. And you go stand in front of a, a stand in front of a judge, right? There are some instances where the what we call almost like the pre-suit procedure can be very complex, and one is with a, a town like this, or a public entity like a city in a county. Another, which takes on a whole nother different um, pre-suit procedures with the state of Wisconsin, where the rules really are. Um, what you want to say, black and white, real draconian. If you don't miss, if you miss um, part of um, a, a rule, because there the notice has to be sent, I believe, by you know, either certified or registered mail to a PO box in Madison at the attorney general's office. So, if for example you were involved with a car accident where a probation agent driving or a state trooper driving on the other side, uh, the time limits there under the statute eight ninety three. I believe 82 is compared to 8380 are way different. So you've got a real, real mm -hmm. short window on that one. So that's why I say um, you have to to move quickly if ever a government entity is involved. Another uh, type of procedure that happens before a case is medical malpractice, where there we don't require in the state of Wisconsin that you get like affidavits like other states do of expert witnesses to show that you have a case. But one thing there is you can either do it prior to a lawsuit starting or right after a lawsuit starting is go to a mediation panel. And many times with the time limits, these mediation panels aren't even able to meet. But it's one of these things where if you don't do it, you know, almost impossible for somebody to do up on their own. You really don't have a medical malpractice case. So there, not only do you want to uh, find an attorney, you know, but one who knows something about personal injury and medical malpractice, you have a case like this. I would expect that, uh, you know, your average personal injury attorney would be able to take you through 
these steps here, which you have to do for a, a town or a county. But again, um, never assume if you're hurt, things are quite as they seem. It can get very complex very quickly. Yeah. Now, as you mentioned, in this case, uh, there may have been uh, a delay from the attorney, may have missed an opportunity here or there. That happens for somebody like uh, Dr. Kornreich. What sort of recourse or options does a client have if they have entrusted the attorney that knows the law to do something and the attorney misses the deadline, if you will? Well, and, and here's where it gets into that, because the first thing that Dr. Kornreich would do after this case comes from the Court of Appeals is he would be um, he'd have the opportunity to petition the Supreme Court to look at it again. OK, and. That was would be one thing that I would recommend to him to do. And he would have a time limit after August 16th to file a petition. Not all those are, are taken up. Okay. If he if that is denied, you know, Dr. Kornreich may have an instance here where he may want to talk to another lawyer to see if there's been malpractice committed. Okay, now that is not as easy as what it seems either, because not only would he have to show that you know the attorney um, went below the standard of care here, and we'd have to look at all the documents to see what exactly his attorney knew and when they knew it and what uh, Dr. Kornreich gave the lawyer. But then also you would have to show that Dr. Kornreich's case had some value to it, that the town would indeed be negligent and here you've got, at least on a uh, 893.80 claim, a $50,000 limit in liability. And then, so without knowing more, um, just on the paperwork on the claim, you might see something there to look at. But there'd have to be a lot more an attorney would have to look at to know if this is something uh, that went below the standard of care. Because you'd have to know if there's value to his claim how difficult the liability questions were going to be. Um, when you get into municipalities, you have much more difficult questions on what we call discretionary versus ministerial duties as to what uh, what was supposed to be done and what caused his accident. If it was just a bad road, that might be a pretty tough case. Mm -hmm. Okay, If it was something mm -hmm. where um, a stop sign was supposed to be somewhere and it wasn't, and somebody ran him off the road, that would be another one. Yeah, because you might say, you know, statute, rule, ordinance, the stop sign was supposed to be there. And that would be more of a ministerial type duty. Well, kind of transitioning from that to some uh, frequently asked questions, and one of them, and you know, obviously with this case, it involved uh, an injury, not quite the same with this question, but similar. How do I know if I have a personal injury case? Everybody has... Yeah, I heard the stories of uh, the, the coffee in the lap and what have you. People have heard many an ad uh, here and across the country and whatnot. The people with their arms folded, uh, backs against the wall sort of thing, you know, personal injury law kind of thing. So how do I know if I have a personal injury case? It's easy for a lot of people to immediately think in their head some of the some of the quote unquote wilder stories they may have seen online. But how do I know? It's worth giving a call. The one thing on the personal injury case is I would look first to if you're hurt. Okay. And then we have to look at where you're hurt and how you're hurt. 
But as far as the injuries um, we deal with, you know, there's the classic ones of the broken bones. Um, we see, you know, many car wreck injuries where you have the soft tissue, what are like the whiplash, uh, back and neck type ones, which in the past, um, you know, you might remember old situation comedies where they kind of made fun of them, where people were the neck brace, ne- ne- yeah. neck braces. But now it's to the point, no, everybody knows somebody who's been in a car wreck and know that they've been, you know, messed up on something like that, especially around here where people, you know, still work farms, factories. I think everybody knows somebody with a bad neck or back and they know, um, you know, from those wrecks um, that you can get messed up, especially since seatbelts came and are more prevalent. You know, that's kind of the trade-off with wearing seatbelts. We're going to have more neck and back injuries and people aren't going to hit the windshields. Okay. Um, The other injury that we see that I got to say is really changed since the time I started practicing law, and this also couples in with sports as concussions, um, where, you know, when I first started practicing, if somebody came in with a concussion, you know, it, we'd look at them and, oh, yeah, you know, have somebody uh, keep an eye on you when you sleep for a few weeks and, you know, you'll shake out of it. But now um, we've seen, you know, where in concussions where people lose executive functions, where somebody is in really good shape after a concussion, um, they can't remember where their car keys are at, that they uh, have to have a list, you know, when they go to the grocery store, um, that they're not as good as organizing things. And the people around the individuals with concussions are great witnesses for things like that. Now, I think the science and the medicine on concussions will greatly improve over time. I think they'll probably find markers. They'll probably be able to find the actual you know, part of the the mind or brain that actually gets damaged in one. I don't think we're there yet. We know that successive concussions um, are really dangerous. You know, and I think even going back to like somebody like Steve Young um, in in football, and you know, that's really kind of been the driver a little bit of sports. And then we move on to the injury part with concussions. Um, another injury we see uh, scars from dog bites, and. You know, this is one where I have to say that actually on the scars, um, you know, people don't talk about those maybe as much as what they they used to. It used to be a much uh, more prevalent thing in discussion. Um, another thing that we work on or develop uh, mental health type claims, post-traumatic stress syndrome. And that is something also that we've learned more and more about. And I'm thinking back to, uh, you know, probably after the the war about 20 years ago where people went to uh, um, over to Iraq or um, and then came back. And there's been a lot more study, a lot more interest, you know, put into that and development. Um, so actually, you know, when you have somebody involved in a car accident, um, somebody with a significant injury, they have those lingering effects, too that uh, we've only learned more about. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll ask this. When it comes to these personal injury cases, there's always the the nuts and bolts and what have you, and I'm not talking necessarily about the level of injury, but the human side of it. When is it worth it? When is it not worth it? Because everybody always has this image of, well, I'm going to go, you know, I got injured at the store. You know, the store is this big, 
idea. You know, it's not an individual person, what have you. But let's say you've got a neighbor. Neighbor's dog bites you. You and the neighbor get along very, very well, but you've got this injury. Obviously, something like this could easily break things up. So how do you guys handle that? Here here is what I would tell somebody on, on that is before you want to get involved in an injury case, think of this, that it is not a quick process, okay? That, that you might be working on this case two to three years down the road. And so what I would say is you have to be hurt bad enough to pursue it. Surely if you had a permanent injury. Now, if the neighbor's dog nipped you mm-hmm. type thing, I'd probably just walk away. Mm-hmm. If the neighbor's dog bit me, to the point where, you know, I might have like a small scar on a leg or an arm, I'd probably walk away too. However, if he bit me to the point I had like nerve damage, then I'd probably say that that's enough mm-hmm. type thing. And that happens, you know, quite a bit uh, where a dog can get a hold of you, you know, tug and pull, and all of a sudden you've got tendons, ligaments kind of ripped up in your arm, back of your leg, or definitely in the um, situation with little children. They always seem to get it in the face. And the little children ones are actually, it always seems like those kind of happen at family events. It always seemed like, you know, the kids, it's always when they're visiting grandma or grandpa, it's always an aunt or uncle or a family gathering where somebody lets the dog, you know, who they think is friendly, little kid isn't used to dogs. And, and then there you've got a much different situation but we what we tell people sometimes is yes you're suing the person but they also have insurance for it and this is exactly what they bought insurance for so so sometimes you're you're trying to put the the image in the head of it's you against the insurance company right no different than when many of us uh, have a claim on a on a fender bender yep. sort of thing like hey you know we're going to make sure we get the full money we can from the insurance in, in wisconsin is unique i think louisiana may be the only other place and what we have in wisconsin with the insurance companies is called direct action meaning that when we start a lawsuit if you were involved in an accident, I not only sue you in the complaint, but I also sue your insurance company. And they're named right by you, whether it be like American Family, State Farm. Their name is also in the complaint. Other states, you, 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 the jury would only think that we're suing you. Now, you'll go to trial. You'll have an insurance defense lawyer sitting right next to you. They'll probably figure out what's going on. But in Wisconsin, we, did, we don't hide the ball on that in that we just put the insurance company right in the complaint so when the jury trial starts it'd be the person injured versus what we call the defendant and their insurance company and everybody knows it right away yep and then uh also before we move on to one other thing and this will actually be a nice little transition too to another question that's come up but with some of these what is the line between a personal injury case and a criminal case Actually, some of them double up. And I can think of one very uh, good example, and that's when you're hit by a drunk driver, okay? And in that instance, um, the drunk driver would be prosecuted for OWI causing injury, okay? It would go over to court. um, They'd go through the process there. But also, there would be a lawsuit against the drunk driver as well, where you would sue their insurance company and also you'd look at your own coverage as well in your own policy to see if there's what's called like underinsured or uninsured motorist coverage okay so it's never quite as easy as what it seems 
But then when you um, go through a process like that, in my cases, I've always helped people out through the criminal process. Go with them, talk to the prosecutor, um, do things like that, show up at a sentencing hearing. And we write statements together and go over and, and read them to the judge as to what we think should happen. Um, the injuries that drunk drivers cause are just, you know, awful, okay? Um, you know, in that everybody is a potential victim once you go on the road of a drunk driver. And it can be the totally innocent, uh, you know, the family in the minivan that get hit, gets hit by the drunk driver. That's you know, Nobody in the minivan's ever had a traffic ticket in their life, but all of a sudden, you know, they're pulled in as victims. So that's what makes drunk driving just so awful. Um, so actually drunk driving, I always say, is so bad, you not only get it in criminal court, but you also get it in civil court as well, that there's money damages. And the one thing that we look for in drunk driving cases is also to pursue punitive damages. Um, where not only for the injury, but also almost like a punishment aspect, um, you know, to try to get in front of a jury to talk about uh, the punitive part of drunk driving. Yeah. Now transitioning there, we're talking a little bit about uh, law and, of course, with the uh, you know, OWIs and whatnot, law enforcement's involved and in something that's been on people's mind recently, uh, the situation up in Chippewa County with uh, Travis Hakes, the sheriff, and people starting to understand, and this comes up every once in a while in local politics, uh, issue just a couple of years ago, too, in Eau Claire County, of how, if it gets to this point, how you are able to remove certain people in positions of power some are as quote-unquote as easy as saying you're fired but there's others that takes a different process that involves getting the governor involved and that is where uh, the situation with travis hakes is if it were to get to that point right and uh, on this you know the the typical answer we always give if you want to remove an elective official is is recall um, type that that's always out there. I think it happened down in um, Trempolo County a, a few years ago where they did a, a recall petition. And the difficulty there is you have to find somebody, I think, to run against the person who's, who's still in office. This other uh, way that we've seen, and this goes for state elected officials, this would be like for the DA and for the sheriff. And we saw this attempted with Gary King is that there's a complaint to the governor, and then the governor decides if they want to appoint a uh, commission or like have hearings as to whether or not you should be removed from office. Now, I have to say, um, you know, in Gary's case, it was the process was put in motion, never actually happened. He resigned. Um, but I have to say, I've never actually seen this go through um, where it's come to conclusion. I'm sure it has other parts of the state, but in my time here in this part, I have not seen it actually come to a conclusion. But I would say for this, though, uh, we did look at the statutes, and if it's a county elected position, such as clerk of court, county treasurer, that they can be removed by two-thirds of the county board vote. However, you know, the DA, sheriff, those are elected positions, um, and that would be again, put to the, the governor through some sort of a verified complaint of some sort. So 
Um, we'll have to just see how the process shakes out over the next few weeks and months. Everybody gets kind of a refresher on how these things operate every once uh, every once in a while. We're just about to the end of uh, this uh, this episode. We'll have more questions come up in the following uh, weeks and what have you, and no doubt other things coming up in terms of current events that'll spark things as well. Before we wind things down, anything else people should know about uh, Herrick and Hart uh, as we are deep into the fall months? Well, we're busy as the fall comes along. Um, people start thinking about the end of the year. You know, if you Stephanie here does uh, some business work, usually they have some questions there. But other than that, you know, all of us are staying busy, but we're always willing to help here too. So if you are injured or in a jam or something, feel free to give us a call. Yeah, you guys dig, as we've covered on uh, other episodes here, and Will, uh, you guys cover a, a wide gamut of uh, legal needs, correct? We do. Yep. <laughs> well, again, we'll talk to uh, Jay and the, the rest of the team coming up on another edition very, very soon. Law Talk, presented by Herrick and Hart.